0: Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 31. There we find God's word summarized as follows. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the holy gospel and church discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits as often as they, by true faith, accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rests on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? (coughs) According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians, but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life, are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members of Christ and of the Church when they promise and show real amendment. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 66, the, or sorry, from Psalm 106, the stanzas 1, 2, 22, and 23. Psalm 106, 1, 2, 22, and 23. Beloved Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls, I hope you also listen this afternoon. And this is the last Lord's Day of the second part of the Heidelberg Catechism. In this section, we dealt with all the important points concerning our redemption. Lord's Day by Lord's Day, we learned about the wonderful riches that we have received as saved children of God. In view of that, isn't it surprising the way that this particular section ends? You would expect some words of comfort, wouldn't you? Some words of summary that gives you The assurance of your salvation. Perhaps a quotation from Romans 8 where it says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That no matter what happens to us, our salvation is secure because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. But you don't find that here on Lord's Day 31, do you? This last Lord's Day deals instead with the keys of the kingdom. It deals with those who are included in God's kingdom and those who are not, those who are excluded. It deals with the boundaries that God has set and with the discipline that he meets out. We don't like to hear about being disciplined. And so it seems that we are ending this section on somewhat of a negative note. And yet, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, As you will see, this is a very fitting end to that section. For the message is actually very positive. For think about how blessed you are now that you have been rescued from your sins. For this means that God has, as it were, drawn you within his safe circle. He has made you part of his kingdom. He has taken you from this world full of sin and misery and he has made you part of his world. And he has set the clear boundaries between his world and the other world, the world of Satan. He does that because he does not want you now to step outside of those boundaries. Because if you do, then you put yourself in danger of losing your salvation. It's for that reason that he disciplines us. He does not want us to wander away. And if we do, then he wants to draw you and me back. But the problem is we don't like discipline, do we? We don't like it as adults, and especially children don't like it. Do you, children? You don't like it when your mom and dad tell you that you are not allowed to do a certain thing. That they restrict the kind of entertainment you have or the kinds of friends that you hang around with or that they give you certain tasks within the household, doing certain chores. You would rather do your own thing, wouldn't you? But why do you think your parents do that? Why do they tell you that? Well, why do they set certain rules? And why do they discipline you when you break the rules? Do you think they do that in order to make your life miserable? Of course not. They do that because they love you. They do that because they want to teach you how to keep out of trouble. They have in mind your well-being. They want to teach you to be able to cope in this world full of sin and misery. They want you to be able one day to stand on your own two feet. They want you to know how to keep yourself from harm. And that is why they set rules for you already when you are young. Already a little child is told not to touch dangerous objects. Don't touch that stove. It's hot. And look before you cross the road. Or don't take something that doesn't belong to you, that's stealing. And they will also tell you to go to bed at a certain time, for they know that you need that for your health. And so the list can go on and on. Parents understand what children need. Of course, not perfectly. I'm a parent as well, and I know that in that regard I've made many mistakes. Continue to do that, parents do, because parents are fallible sometimes they're too strict other times they're not strict enough and that is why the lord also teaches us to bear with our parents shortcomings but you have to understand that in spite of their shortcomings they do have your well-being at heart but now think about your heavenly god and father he is the perfect parent. And he also wants to discipline us. He wants to discipline all of us, including adults, even those adults in old age. For we all need discipline. It doesn't matter how old you are. I need it too. And it is an act of love. He has made us part of His family and He wants us to remain part of that family and to be safe all the years of our life right into eternity. Now how does He do that? Well, like I said, He sets the rules and the boundaries and He uses the church to maintain those boundaries. He uses the church community in that, and he involves all of us as members of the same family of God to correct one another, to admonish one another, and also to encourage one another as members of the same family of God so that we can be safe within the boundaries that God has set. That's what I'm going to pursue about this afternoon. The theme is as follows as an act of love, Christ uses his church in maintaining the rules and the boundaries of his kingdom. He does that in two ways. He does that first of all through the proclamation of the gospel and in the second place through the administration of discipline. As I said our Father in heaven gives the responsibility to the church to maintain the rules and the boundaries of God's kingdom. And so We're not speaking here about some human invention. We're not speaking here about something that the church gives to herself. No, it is a gift from God. The Catechism speaks, as it says, according to the command of Christ. Twice it says that. For Christ is the one who gives the keys of the kingdom. We just sang about that too because that's in accordance with Revelation 3, verse 7, where it says, These are the words of him who are holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. The holy and the true one is Christ. Christ is the one who has the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Bible says. What does that mean? First of all, What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, listen to what the Lord Jesus says to the centurion, that Gentile, that man, showed his great faith by acknowledging that the Lord Jesus has power over all creatures. He firmly believed that Christ did not have to be physically present in order for his servant to be healed. And the Lord Jesus commends this centurion for his great faith. For he says to him and those standing around, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He will sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the kingdom of heaven, first of all, has to do with sitting around the table together. What does that remind you of? That reminds you, of of course, of what we did this morning together when we celebrated the Lord's Supper together. We sat around the table together, just like a family does every day. But now we did that as family of God. Like brothers and sisters of one family sit around the table to eat a meal together with the whole family, so we, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, sit together around the Lord's table. And that is something that we do now in this life, but that is something that we will also do in the life to come. As a matter of fact, the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of that for the kingdom of heaven has its beginning here on this earth already. Now we are already citizens of the commonwealth in heaven, as Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 20. That is also clear from the parable of the marriage feast, as described in Matthew 22. In that parable, the Lord Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a marriage feast wherein the king sends out many servants all over the country to invite men and women to attend but says the Lord Jesus not everyone who is invited will enter there are certain people who will not be allowed to come to that feast and that is not the fault of the one who does the inviting no says he that is the fault of the people themselves why Why is that? Well, because those people, they don't take that invitation seriously enough. They are either too busy or they have too many other important things to do. They can't be bothered. Some of them will even think that the others who have been invited aren't good enough. I'm not going to sit around the table with those people. They don't want to associate with them and eat with them around the same table. Now then, and who is the king then who, sits, who is referred to in this parable? Well, the king, of course, represents the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you know who he is. He is the one who has prepared the table for all his guests. But note well that the king in the parable uses servants to send out the invitations. Because that is also what Christ does. And those servants are to go out to the thoroughfares and highways and byways and send out all the invitations. And the invitation, therefore, is sent to sinful men by sinful men. For who are those servants? Well, they are, first of all, the office bearers in the church, ministers and also the elders. Actually, a minister is also an elder. And they have been given a most beautiful task. It is their task to go out into the streets to invite the people to come and to be part of the marriage feast. They may invite all kinds of people, tall people, short ones, brown people, white ones, poor and rich, ugly people and good-looking ones, and above all, all kinds of sinners. No matter what they have on their conscience, they all receive an invitation. And those servants may invite them in spite of the fact that these people are unworthy and in spite of the fact that they themselves are unworthy. And therefore the most beautiful task on earth is that of one who is called and sent out to preach a gospel which opens the kingdom of heaven he may proclaim that message to all those who will listen, and he must do it with joy. For there is nothing more wonderful than, be, than to be allowed to send out such a message. It is a joy for me to be able to do that. However, the minister and the elders must also do this in accordance with the instructions given to them by the king himself, by Christ. What does that mean? That means, brothers and sisters, that he whom God has chosen to bring the invitation must follow after his master and sender who has compassion on the multitude, who fed them with heavenly bread, who refreshed them with living water, and who couldn't be held back from going through every city and village, preaching and showing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. For Christ gave strict orders, just before his ascension that the gospel preaching, the message of reconciliation be carried out until he would come again. He wanted that message to be proclaimed throughout the whole world without discrimination, without favoring the one person above the other. And that is why the Lord commanded his disciples in Mark 16 verse 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. But the Lord Jesus does not leave that only up to the few office bearers that he has called in his service. No, it is clear that the case of the kingdom of heaven has been given to the whole church of God. And that is why the whole church is involved in that beautiful task. Every single one of you. Also you young people. Did you know that, boys and girls? For you are a child of God as well, and you belong to His kingdom. And that is why you have to act in that way as well. You have to also treat your friends in the same way. Even those who don't belong to the same church, or those who don't believe at all, and especially to your friends who belong to the church. By your behavior, they have to see what it is like to be a citizen of God's kingdom. And so when your friends are depressed or discouraged or they have done something wrong, then you deal with them in love, in understanding. You are humble. In other words, you make others feel worthy as children of God. And you do that in the way that you interact with your friends. The way, for example, that you send text messages to them you encourage your friend in every way possible. When your friend is depressed, for example, about the ways others treat him or her, then you encourage your friend and tell him or her that they are special, especially special in the eyes of the Lord. You don't make them feel bad, even if you think that your friend is a little bit different from you. But then you think about how you can make them feel good about themselves without, of course, condoning any sins that they may do. And you also do that by sending them positive messages and by not gossiping about others and not trying to make others look bad so that you can look good. All of us have to do this. We have to act positively with brothers and sisters in the Lord. We should not make others feel as if they have to earn something with God either or that they have to earn a place with you or a place in God's kingdom. They do not have to buy a ticket, so to speak, in order to be able to go to that banquet of the kingdom of heaven. And they don't have to belong to a certain class of people either. And they don't have to take along any gift. On the contrary, if you think that you can earn the king's favor by giving him a gift, then actually you won't even be allowed to enter For if you do that, then you don't understand what the invitation is all about. The invitation is to those only who acknowledge that they have absolutely nothing to offer the Lord. The invitation is to those who acknowledge that they are totally bankrupt materially and spiritually. As we also confessed this morning when we went to the Lord's Supper table together. Whatever they do have whether it be material or spiritual, is not theirs in the first place. No, it belongs to the king of kings, to the Lord. He gives everything to us. And so, therefore, you must come with empty hands. All you have to do is believe. You must believe that all your riches and inheritance is stored with the king and that he alone can hand those gifts out. You are merely a servant doing that for him and it is only because of god's mercy and kindness that he has prepared a place around the table for you and for me the king has many celebrants all different kinds and they all belong together the king makes no distinctions between all the celebrants and therefore we may not do so either we may not hold our noses and wonder how come others less worthy than us have been invited. The kingdom of God is for all of God's covenant children. How else is the congregation involved? Well, you also have to listen to the way the invitation is extended by him whose primary task it is to do so, the minister of the word. It is your task to listen to the preaching. I'm also saying that to those who are right now sleeping in this church, you have to listen. With regard to the Lord's Supper, we know that you can eat and drink judgment to yourself if you lead an unrepented lifestyle. But it also applies to the preaching. If you are indifferent to the message that comes from the pulpit, if it goes in the one ear and out the other, then you also bring judgment upon yourself. Because the minister does not come with his own opinions. He comes with God's Word. And you have to listen to that Word and you have to apply it in your life. Question and answer 84 beautifully spells out what that preaching is all about. It gives all the elements of a sermon. If those elements are not in each sermon, then the preaching is a failure. Look at what it says. It says that it must be proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits. That is the most important element in a sermon. It must it must be opened first of all by proclaiming the good news That God is not angry with you or with me because of our sins. That is the gospel of salvation that has to be proclaimed. That is the very first thing. The kingdom of God has to be opened. It may not be a sermon about hell and damnation. No, the gospel, the good news has to come out first. That must be proclaimed. God's promises must be proclaimed. However, and that brings us to the second point, there is also another element that must be included. And that is a warning to all those who do not repent from their sins, to all those who do not believe, to all hypocrites, that God's kingdom is closed to them as long as they do not repent. They have to take their sins seriously even though they know them to be forgiven in the blood of Christ that doesn't mean that you can now say I will live whatever life I want no you have to lead a repentant life and so this is a secondary role but that also must be part of each sermon a warning a sermon may not be either about it may it must be about the love of God And it may not be just a story about a sweet Lord Jesus. No, the Lord Jesus Christ comes with his warnings as well. That is clear from the parable of the king and his banquet. He gives warning to those who scorn the invitation. He says they will be excluded from God's kingdom. And so that is very serious. He does this, however, as an act of love. For he does not want them to remain part of the world and fall into the hands of the devil. And that is why we too have to sound the warning bells when others go astray. First of all, you have to listen for yourself. You have to apply it to your own life. But then you also have to apply it to others. And the minister has to do that from the pulpit as well. And you have to make sure also that the minister does that. That it is done from this pulpit. That is the task of the office bearers in the first place, of course. That's also what it says in the form for the ordination of elders. They shall permit no strange teaching, so that in every respect the congregation is edified by the pure doctrine of the gospel. But also, you, the congregation, which consists of prophets, priests, and kings, is to assist the office bearers in this. From 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 20 and following, Paul says to the whole congregation at Thessalonica, do not treat prophecies with contempt, test everything, hold on to the good. And so the congregation is also to test the preaching, whether it is in accordance with the Word of God. You have to make sure, first of all, that the preaching does not come with all kinds of restriction, excluding those who should, be ex- ex- who should be included. That's what happened during the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. At that time, the office bearers were the Pharisees and the scribes. They were to proclaim the word of invitation of the king himself. That is what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 2. For he says that those Pharisees and scribes, they sit in Moses' seat, Moses had been given the keys of the kingdom. And the Pharisees and the scribes were also instructed to go out and tell everyone who would listen to come to the marriage feast of God. They were to usher the people into the kingdom of God, and that invitation was to go out indiscriminately. In other words, to everybody. But what did the scribes and the Pharisees do... And they told the people that if they want to enter the kingdom of heaven they have to do all kinds of things in order to make them worthy in the sight of the king they had to earn their salvation through good works but what does christ say to them he says woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees you hypocrites you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces and you yourselves do not enter nor will you let those enter who are trying to and in the parallel passage in Luke 11 verse 52 Christ speaks about the fact that they have even taken away the, the kingdom to knowledge the key of the kingdom to knowledge he says there woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge you yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering and the lord jesus speaks very harsh words to them because they were unfaithful servants they did not handle the keys of the kingdom of god in the way that the lord god had commanded they told the people that salvation is earned by keeping the law in the minutest details that in this way they could earn their way into heaven into god's kingdom and so they gave people burdens to carry which they could not carry they gave them impossible tasks to perform and they told the people that they themselves were much better than the average servant and that they alone would enjoy eternal life they excluded god's children from the house of god and that is why the lord jesus was angry with the scribes and pharisees and the lawyers they excluded just about everyone While including themselves. Those were not the instructions of the king. The office bearers of the church of God are not allowed to conduct themselves in such a way. They're merely servants, and they have to do as their master tells them, and they have to be careful whom they judge. For the elders and the minister have been given charge only over a very small number of celebrants. They can only supervise those whom God has given in their care. That's also what Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians chapter 5. He says in verse 12, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. And for that reason, only members of this church can sit around the table together. However, let us not forget that the kingdom of heaven is a lot wider than the church. The kingdom of heaven belongs to all those who throughout the ages and from every nation on earth, who upon having heard the invitation, accepted it. God knows who all those people are millions upon billions of them ultimately he knows who all will be allowed into the marriage feast of the lamb but in the meantime god gives you and me a responsibility for one another we have to watch out for one another that we do not place our salvation in danger in this way we love one another as god loves us and that is what discipline is about. And so it is not a negative thing at all. There's something absolutely wonderful about this. For we live in a world full of sin and temptation, and we have to help one another to stay within the boundaries that God has set. Love is the fulfillment of the law, and God teaches us that we must love God and our neighbor as ourselves. And so, really, what a great end to this section of the Heidelberg Catechism. And what a wonderful end to this sermon. God has given you and me the keys of the kingdom to open the door to all those who do not want to live in their sins. He has given them to you and to me out of His great love. Amen.